0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 176 of the MTG Grindcast, one of the top five spikiest podcasts in all of Central North Carolina. In fact, I believe we may be the number one spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. It's good to be on the top of a, a five
0: count list, you know? Yeah, for sure. You always want to be at the top. Well, as long as it's at the top of a top five list, you don't really want to be at the top of a bottom five list.
1: Well, would the top of bottom five list be fifth or, like, fifth from
0: last? Well, it's still pretty bad to be in the bottom five, right? <laughs> okay, that's fair. But we're in the top five. We're, yeah, definitely. Easily in the top five of spikiest podcasts in Central North Carolina. Today, it is December 29th. There is no Magic the Gathering happening right now. The Callheim spoilers, you know, we got the, like, first initial batch of, like, five cards that sticks around for several weeks as the only preview so everybody discusses them to death despite like one of them having possible constructed implications so we're in that part of spoiler season so not the greatest part i
1: think it starts next week if i'm not mistaken like God, the first week so. of january but like by the time we record next week we'll have two days of spoilers anyway so it's not even like we're gonna have that much next time
0: yeah i mean maybe we put off recording for a day or something like that to get a couple extras in but I mean, when they start rolling in, they really start rolling in. Yeah, they really, especially the first couple of days. I think. Yeah. So with uh, just not very much magic to talk about, figured we do an end of year wrap up show. We are calling this. Looks like you've labeled it, tops, props, and slops.
1: Yeah, because it was initially like a top five list, and then you wanted to do props and slops, and I don't know the format anymore. We're just like talking about stuff now. That was always the plan. <laughs>
0: yeah so we right we were thinking of doing a top five countdowns type show but some things don't super lend themselves to top five lists and also sometimes i just don't want to think of five examples of a thing so i want to bring back the old school magic tournament report props and slops as one of the our options for ways to address topics that our discord and twitter have proposed to us
1: yeah, I, I especially thought it was perfect because it just all
0: rhymes. Yeah, of course. It's, it, I, I mean, ideal. Like, this may become a tradition, so, because of the rhyming more than anything else.
1: I mean, I think that's how most traditions start. Because of
0: rhyming? Yeah, yeah, of course. The oral tradition. Yeah, I, that's a thing. You yeah. know, rhyming rhyming as a literary device was originally, like, it became so popular because it helped to memorize I didn't know that's why it became popular. I just thought it was popular because humans love patterns. Love. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's that's part of it. But a huge part of the intent was in order to aid in memorization because stories were passed down orally.
1: Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Especially since I know that
0: uh, like Old English had a bunch of that incorporated into it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't have like any actual interesting details to add to it, unfortunately. All I have is a fun yeah, just fact that. without, yeah, without the rest of the Wikipedia <laughs> article to back it up.
1: Well, we don't have to pull that up. We we can trust our listeners to do that if they're interested.
0: <laughs> All right, so I guess looks like we're starting with our uh, magic top fives and props and slops. So, and then we'll get to like more pop culturey sorts of things. Do we want to like alternate or anything, or do we just want to start with magic? I think we just start with magic. Yeah, I go think into that's non-magic fine. stuff later. We are technically a magic podcast, in theory at
1: least. I mean, it's the end of the year. I don't think people expect a lot of
0: real hard-hitting content at this time of the year. What do you want from us? What do you want from us? We're, We're just not... waiting for Call Time spoilers, guys. Come on. I mean, we could just talk about Cube, but like, it's much more rewarding to just go watch some of the Cube streams, really. Yeah, and also, people
1: streamed for the entire weekend, so you could just watch hours and hours of odds.
0: Between the eight people in that trophy race, there's just hundreds of hours of Cube content available
1: especially Zach who we had last time or last show. Did he did so like many drafts. drafts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Part of it was aided by like like he did a bunch of drafts really early, but that was because he was just I watched a lot of his early stream and he just had awful awful beats and so some of his drafts ended really really early.
1: But, the one drafts.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anyways, diving right into it. Looks like we're starting with top and bottom card designs of 2020. So I guess I'll give my top five and then you can give your top five. Yeah, let's do that. All right. My top five, I've got Skyclave Apparition. I just think that this is a great catch all answer for white that opens up some design space and like the token as the punishment for killing, for getting your thing killed is way, way like having an o-ring type a banisher priest kind of creature puts like a really negative pressure on the banisher priest player like there's a gross tension that you feel all game long that doesn't have to exist and i think skyclave evaporation is a really cute way of getting around that while like playing with that concept i like shark typhoon a lot i think maybe we should like leave this discussion between the two of us for a little later so that's going to come up some yeah i have shark typhoon on some of my list Um, i've got cleansing wildfire i just i don't know why but this card like really really appeals to me and the fact that it has made it into as like one of the most heavily sideboarded cards in modern is like a testament to the power level of this effect without having to be tied to like color screwing your opponent like land destruction as a way of getting rid of utility lands or dealing with powerful combinations of lands like tron without also having the wasteland effect of just keeping large numbers of opponents out of the game entirely. I don't know why for some reason this like feels like a neater design to me than just uh field of ruin, maybe because field of ruin has been around for long enough that I'm just used to it, but having yeah, it on maybe. a spell that you can do some neat things with.
1: I also hate like personally just hate colorless lands
2: mm-hmm.
1: with a passion. So even though field of ruin is like a good effect, on a land it's just like but it's a colorless land
0: yeah sure and it's just hard to find space for those without screwing up your mana base or ha- flooding out um so yeah i i just something about like cleansing wildfire you being able to use it with flagstones being able to snapcaster it if you're a snapcaster deck it's just just like f- nice little synergies and it's just generally a good card so i, I appreciate that design a lot Oxvagonus in standard. I really like this refill effect and I really I really really like the way it plays out like versus rogues and how like it's very powerful versus rogues, but you have to be very careful with it because it can easily speed up the you getting decked threat in the game. And that tension has been the basis of a lot of really, really fun and interesting standard games that I've played as both the Ox of Agonis player or the rogues player. So it just like adds these neat sub games and like weird counting things to standard that I really appreciate. And then my last one is Skyclave Sentinel, just like my favorite common from Zendikar. Is that the gargoyle? The defender one? So three mana, two, three flying defender. It can't attack unless it has a plus one, plus one counter on it. And kicker gets plus one, plus one counters. And it's just like the fact that it's colorless and has kicker synergies and plus one, plus one counter synergies and is like really nicely sized to like not have you randomly die to the two, two flyers out of wizards. And then it turns around and like is a three, four attacker with a. Uh, you know subtle strike and stuff like i just like had a lot of decks that i was like man this deck isn't so good i'm just like scrapping for playables and then i wheel like two skyclave sentinels and like replace two like kind of unplayable cards i'm like yeah okay i can kill some people with this deck and then some games you just like pay seven mana for a four five flyer and then pay seven mana for a four five flyer and you're like wow i'm really glad that these are my replacement level commons
1: it hurts a lot less when the the fail state is just like
0: a medium okay blocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I mean, like, my love for this card is mostly just like a love letter to versatile cards. The kicker plus colorless, like, and then it fits with synergy into several different decks. I just really appreciate how unassuming but important this card was to that limited format. So, I think it was like a wonderful design.
1: It kind of makes me wish I had put some thought into little cute limited tricks in my top
0: five i had to put at least one limited card on my list because to be quite honest limited is like 75 percent of the magic that i played this year yeah same
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i i was looking at more of the things i like really liked magic did in my top Mm -hmm. five here so like i have pathways Mm -hmm. first i love pathways legit I love double face cards. I love coming to play tap lands. And I like that these are good enough that you want to play them, but not so good that they just
0: eclipse all other options. Yeah. And there's a choice in them. Right. And- Meaningful decision making starting on turn one.
1: And deck construction, which I think is also really cool. Uh, like people playing river glide pathway instead of islands to play their own boils in modern is something really neat. Mm -hmm. and something you just couldn't really do that often because the only blue sources you really had were uh like spire bluff canal if you want to use that color combination
0: yeah yeah true also just dual ends that allow you to cast your one drop are such a huge breath of fresh air yes i want to see
1: more more of these like i would actually love to see the fast lands like all 10 of them just be reprinted sometime in the next year i am so tired of temples and triomes and like Mm -hmm. coming to play fecks, coming to play tapped lands that fix your mana well and do stuff going late but don't let you play anything early right
0: and just like eliminate the threat of aggro decks from the format
1: yeah i i want aggro lands and i love pathways
0: yeah agree
1: the other one i have was to fairy master of time which is like kind of weird because it sees almost no play at all. It's a great design, though. But I love the card. Like It's yeah. a very blue card because it breaks the rules. Like You can just activate it whenever. It draws a ton of cards, but it doesn't actually give you card advantage. And I just love phasing. Like the, the little phasing ability on it. I don't even remember what his ultimate is. It's like take an extra turn, I think. But that's it's, not the
0: part of the card I care it's, about. Take two extra turns. Yeah, you win. It doesn't matter. You really win. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I love the card and it is. I appreciate a planeswalker that can stay in play for a couple of turns and like you've gotten some advantage out of it, but it's not like, man, he activated his planeswalker three times. Like it's impossible for me to win the game now. Like that's just not the case. Like you can murderous rider it at some point and, and be OK.
1: Yeah, and I like planeswalkers that do that. As opposed to Planeswalkers. And it's good because in this standard we have right now, there's not that many Planeswalkers that do that. Mm -hmm. And Ugin's not really a Planeswalker. It's like kind of some sort of ultimatum.
0: Right, right. It's a sweeper with upside.
1: And the only Planeswalker that really sees play right now is like Vivian. And that is kind of card where you plus it three times and the game is just done. Like they have too many card creatures in play now. And I like the Planeswalkers where you're getting advantage, but you're not burying
0: them. Yeah. I mean, I actually don't hate the Vivian design as far as far as like a Planeswalker that, yeah, if they activate it three times, they probably won the game goes because that one like it has flexibility in that it has like the minus and you can cast the creatures off the top of your library. So like there's a bunch of things that it can do, but they are all add to the board things. So if the game isn't really about that and you're operating on different axes, then that's not necessarily, you know, it's not Teferi Hero of Dominaria, where if they've activated three times, like, each one of those activations was completely destructive to your opponent, no matter what they were doing.
1: Yeah, and Vivian's, like, just the example I have from Standard. I actually do like Vivian, but I, I like
0: I like Teferi the most. Right, right. I, I think that's fair. I'm going to
1: skip the next one, because I'm sure we'll talk about it in a <laughs> second. But I have the just like the escape mechanic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I was not looking forward to Theros at all because I just didn't really like the previous Theros block. Yeah, but they surprised me because I really like the escape escape mechanic. Mm-hmm. Like it plays out well in limited and constructed, and has a lot of constructed good playable like very good cards like Cling to Dusk, Mm-hmm.
2: and
0: yeah, I guess uro Yeah, I mean, Uro is (laughs) tangential to this discussion. Like, we're pretending Uro doesn't exist for the sake of praising escape, because Uro has other problems that aren't... I mean, related to the fact that, yes, you can cast this creature over and over, which is the idea of escape. But the other escape creatures have, like... Or the other escape cards have things that make it not necessarily the most productive thing to be casting it over and over and over and over again. Either they're, like creatures that don't necessarily mean that your opponent is losing just because they're in play or their spells that are like kind of incidental but good in certain spots like those escape cards are are, you know being able to cast them over and over again is a good design
1: and it's neat that another flashback variant exists where there's like this one jumpstart retrace an actual flashback and i guess aftermath with the the weird split card ones
0: i kind of love aftermath yeah (laughs)
1: it's not the same because you're not casting the same card right right but the other ones you all are casting the same card which can be like really dangerous because you it just takes one moments piece to just ruin the entire format sure moments piece is the fog with flashback for anyone who wasn't playing then
0: right right certainly if there were an escape fog that would be just lights out for the (laughs) for a fun format that just couldn't exist
1: yeah, so it's nice that they had a mechanic that's like fun to play, and most of the cards, or Uro being the exception, mm-hmm. are pretty fun and reasonable to play with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I legitimately love Kroxa too. I think that card is a solid design that has good places and does good things to formats generally. It's just yep. Uro. Remember up.
1: early 2020 when, like, Jund players were like, God, I love this set. Kroxa is like, it's the late game thing. We need it. It's great. And all the <laughs> yeah. Jund players love playing with their Kroxa.
0: Yeah, yeah. Kroxa's fine. Now the Omnath Uro deck consists entirely of individual cards that Jund can't beat, possibly.
2: <laughs> well,
1: maybe 2021 will be kind to our Bloodbraid Elf
0: friends. An Uro ban would be a start. Like a really big start.
1: Also, on my list are the two, I think, neat sweeper effects from Theros, which is Shadow of the Sky and Storm Draft. Yeah, these are both <laughs> kind of lumped in together. Uh, I'd like that Red gets bigger board wipes, because Red had had to Earthquake forever, mm-hmm. and it just vanished, because dealing damage to players was like at that efficient of a rate as a board player, was like a little too doing everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I remember when Modern Red would play Ball Lightning and
0: then just have Earthquakes because you could. <laughs> yeah. Well, it that one did hit players, like that's a big part of. Oh yeah, you I can know. can do that, yeah.
1: And and in short of fact, it doesn't hit players, but it does hit planeswalkers, which is nice. Yeah. It's like a new another dimension to a red card other than like the purely defensive board sweep that makes you lose to planeswalkers automatically or the like kind of aggressive one where you get spot of something and then or can deal face damage. Right.
0: Yeah, I always, when I'm looking at this card, I'm always like, yeah, what a good, you know, what a what a great iteration of a wrath that they put that it hits Planeswalkers on it. Like for kind of forgetting that Hour of Devastation also hit Planeswalkers. It just feels like so long since we had Hour of Devastation as a magic card.
1: Well, Hour of Devastation is also for five, which is, yeah, makes it not point. really, not in the same ballpark.
0: It doesn't beat aggro decks. Like it doesn't, yeah. it's not effective for that.
1: Like, remember, the difference between Day of Judgment and Fumigate is also huge. Right. Speaking of which, like, Shadow of the Sky was my other one for this, like, hybrid category where Shadow of the Sky is a really
0: cool Wrath of God. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful design. I'm really, really into it. Like, I don't think Day, Day of Judgment,
1: is that the new one called? Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. We haven't had Wrath- so long. Wrath in without Arb the regeneration clause. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, and now, just... Side note, but Wrath of God is in historic, but Dead isn't. It's so confusing.
0: No way to regenerate your creatures in historic. Not a single one.
1: But I, I don't think Dead is is like too strong or anything, but I like the little mini game of Shatter the Sky, where you don't mind developing into the board with a four power creature, because you're like, well, at least I'll draw a card off of it. Right. If they don't have it, I crush them.
0: Right. I, and I, as opposed to Into a Wrath, like. Okay, I got this four mana creature that I would love to cast this turn, but if they wrath after I do this, like that's devastating.
1: I also like the flip side too, where you're the player with Shadow Sky, and you can play a medium creature to mm-hmm. like entice your opponent to play more to the board. Mm-hmm. And you don't mind that you're throwing away your creature because it replaces itself with the Shadow yeah.
0: Sky. Yeah. There's also the uh three mana Gideon, make it a four-four, <laughs> Shadow the Sky, so you can draw a card. But that's a historic thing, and you might you should just play Wrath of God over Shadow this guy, which is one of the things that I don't like about Historic. Like, you designed this perfect format of Wrath, like why I put the old Wrath into the format?
1: Uh, the other card I really liked it was Winota, Joiner of Forces.
0: <laughs> yeah, this one made my bottom five, so you can start with talking about why you like it so much. So the reason
1: I like Winota is actually not the card itself. Kind of, I like that Winota is a red-white card that does something actually good
2: mm-hmm.
1: with a deck-building restraint that gives you like some sort of reason to play red and white together. Mm-hmm. That's greater than the like some of its parts. Like all the good red-white cards in the past have been like Lightning Hill Experience, where it's like a red thing and a white thing. Here's your output. Sure. And Winota is just a different
0: card. Yeah, I I can appreciate that. I think. They went
1: way too hard. Like, it should be dated in some way. Like, whether you can only grab humans that have, like, a mana cost equal to the number of creatures you're attacking with, or something. It shouldn't just, like... The way to make every card good isn't to just dump a bunch of free mana into your card. Because that's going to work every time. But it's, like, a good idea, and I like that Wynoda exists. At the very least for Cube, where just red-white cards
0: are horrible. Sure. Yeah, and I... Like... I think it's really cool if you can set up, like, hey, there's a Winota deck in this cube if you can draft it. Like, that's that's a pretty neat place for her to be, certainly. I think that, like, the, the quest of building a Winota deck even in Constructed, like, the concept of it, like, okay, let's try to figure out some way to attack with small non-humans and get good humans and keep my deck somehow playable between those things, like regardless of which parts i draw like that's a kind of neat quest but then the way that it has broken down in actual constructed is basically like all of these decks with where the gap between like their kind of medium to bad draws and their good draws are just like so vast and the like the games are just kind of like always blowouts one way or the other like Okay, I never drew Winota, so they cast a removal spell on one of my creatures, and then they cast their four mana spell, and I could never, ever beat that without Winota, so I died. Or I curved out into Winota, and there's literally no way for them to beat that, so they died. So, like, the gameplay resulting from this, the particular way they implemented this design, was just generally really, really atrocious. And so, but I, I, I totally agree, like, this is a far. I, I appreciate them doing more advanced card design than burn plus life gain F- first strike and haste on the same creature.
1: Look, a red white, it makes a bunch of small tokens just like the individual colors can, you're welcome.
0: Yep. So, you know, I I, I agree there. It's just they like put too many power points in like the unfun places. Yeah. In this card.
1: Like anytime a card just generates a bunch of free mana, it's gonna be good in some way, <laughs> and Winoda does that.
0: That should be one of my slops. Well, yeah, well, I'll come back to that. I did a uh, like our calls section, like my good calls and my bad calls for the year. I definitely missed on Winota, I didn't think that there was a way to build it to make it good, and it turns out that there were several different ways to do that. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, we're we're talking about Winoda. That was like on your bottom five. You want to segue to that?
0: Yeah, sure. So Winoda is uh, one of them. Yeah, so Winoda is one of them. Um, got Roost of Drakes, Zenith Flare, and Dirge Bat all together in my... I guess I had a limited slot for my top five and a limited slot for my bottom five. These are two kind of different things. Uh, I mean, Roost of Drakes and Zenith Flare are just like marquee uncommons that are... I mean, Zenith Flare was probably the best card in that limited format and roost of drakes was not far off in in zendikar but they were just uncommons that completely ruined games i just like the if you just took them out and didn't replace them with anything each of those formats would be significantly better uh dirge bat is one that just haunts it, you It just haunts me it's just such a dumb card like a a flash necrotol effect that then repeats itself And there's like no way to really play around it. It's just like end of turn. It kills one of your things and gives one of their guys flying. And you're like, okay, well, there was nothing I could do to stop that. That sucks. And then if if they have another mutate card in their hand, then you just lose. And there was nothing you could have done about any of that. And removal is
1: just inherently good in that format too because of mutate.
0: Right. And and in particular, non-gated removal, you know, murders were incredibly good removal that took the creature off of the battlefield and didn't care what size it was Uh, and the fact that this card would routinely give you two before your opponent could do anything to respond to it was just like an egregious thing and then the most egregious thing about it was that there was i think it might have been donald smith that wrote an article about designing it Like he wrote an article heavily about designing dirge bat and just about like how much time they put into it and how many iterations there were and how much work went into it. And it still is like the card that I hate the most out of the limited format. And I think it was really poorly designed. So like that article kind of sent me.
1: Yeah, I remember that. And they didn't like do much to it. They just like tweaked numbers here and there and didn't actually address the core problem of if this card ever resolves, you're
0: just dead. Right. So, yeah, that 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 one is in my bottom. That, that one's in my limited portion of my bottom five. I've got Uro in there, of course. The escape mechanic is wonderful. Attaching the escape mechanic to a creature that, if it's on the battlefield, you are winning the game regardless of... Like, your opponent has to have multiple different five-plus mana cards to be competing with this on the battlefield. They have to
1: be winning on board and in card selection and like <laughs> it's it's way too much to ask.
0: Right. And then to put escape on it so that it's just like a never-ending problem inherent in the game, then and like yes, you can sort of say similar things about kroxa but Croxa is not like you're not nearly as ahead when you have a Croxa in play as when you have an uro in play. And the most important thing is that uro fuels its future escapes in a way that Croxa does not fuel its future escapes. So you know, I think really, really poor way that that card plays out generally. Underworld Breach uh, just was a clearly way too powerful card that we all kind of got really big eyes at when we saw it was spoiled. And then it turned out it was busted.
1: Yeah, this was a card that when it was spoiled, everyone was like, why did they print this? <laughs> yep. And they and weren't, it. when is 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 this going to get banned? It was like, when is this going to get banned?
0: Yep and then it got banned in legacy like two weeks later it got banned in pioneer it like six months late yeah (laughs) Yeah. it didn't have to get banned in modern but if mox opal were not banned i'm confident that the underworld breach deck with mox opal in it would have been a a busted combo deck yeah and I'm,
1: i'm sure at some point in the future when modern gets more cards and someone figures out a build of underworld breach that right. it's going to be busted again like it's just a taking time bomb yeah, it's not I mean, like maybe underworld Breach will be safe in modern it's just no no come on
0: this is literally just too many yogs will that you know is worse in a number of situations but it's better in a number of situations so don't do that
1: and yeah, just you know casual comparing to one of the best cards of all time that's fine
0: Right, like, restricted in Vintage, banned in Legacy, has been for, like, my magic-playing existence, pretty much, so. Uh, and then my last thing is, on my bottom five, I've got Ox in Modern. I just, like, think that it's completely wild to ban Faithless Looting, so nobody can do Faithless Looting, and then print one of these for Dredge. So only the, like, deck that it's least cool to give Faithless Looting to has that effect. Like, that's not not okay in my book.
1: So. This isn't really an Oxvigonus problem as much as it is a come on dredge
0: problem. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, well, no other modern deck plays Oxvigonus, <laughs> but it's it's just such a bizarre thing to have this card that you play out of your graveyard that discards first and then draws three cards. Like, it, why? just why do you give dredge access to the faithless looting like dredge is the graveyard based deck that plays out least like a magic the gathering deck like it's the least important of the faithless looting decks to keep in playable form and then you just give it this thing i don't know i i just don't i'm not i don't appreciate ox in modern i do love it in standard though
1: i have a lot of the same bottom five uh, underworld breach or uh omnath is on there too which was going to be in our bottom five anyway yeah, but yeah. i don't really it's just a an it's egregious, terrible card
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: it's mostly the same card as uro is but slightly less repeatable
0: right because you can't more, escape it and it, it, it does have the upside of just like if you untap with it like your opponent knows they are dead even if they're not like really paying it like because you just did 10 mana worth of stuff or whatever so like okay the game's actually over not painfully probably over like with not i have
1: to kill uro twice and i know i'm still gonna lose to it but i'm gonna go through the motions anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's still horrendous it's like Uh, one of the worst cards this year uh i also have Heliod. Ooh yeah sure which is just gods in general i hate indestructible enchantmenty things that especially ones with theros the almond cat ones are like kind of weird like because... I, I think the almond
0: cat ones gave a lot of weird interesting gameplay things going on like i actually yeah. really like ronus and stuff
1: so i like ronus and Hazaret right up until you just can't kill them at all with anything mm-hmm. And that's, or you need really specific four mana plus single target removal spells. And that's just like way too big of a barrier for me. Yeah. But the other ones, Kefnet, Oketra, and Bantu are just completely unplayable because they are never creatures. Right. So there's like gotta be some leverage you can adjust to where you can't make everything unusable and or unkillable. Mm -hmm. Like if all of those things were just creatures easier, but could be killed, they'd all be playable. Sure. Uh, and heliod i especially hate because it's gotten walking blista banned in two (laughs) that's
2: what i was
0: gonna say there's a very specific reason that heliod has earned my ire like it's
1: unbelievable come on who even likes heliod more than walking Ballista?
0: i i mean even like talking about all these specific design mistakes my least favorite design decision out of wizards all year was not putting walking ballista in kaladesh remastered like it's just a huge bummer to me to not have walking ballista on arena it's one of my favorite cards they've made in the past several years and just you know i'd like to play with it some more
1: uh i think you'd rather play (laughs) the it's
0: just (laughs) no thank you just ban it and give me my walking Ballistas back please
1: the the last card i have in my bottom is one you had in your top it's shark typhoon yeah do you want to do you want to pitch your your glowing review
0: yeah so i and this is one that at least we acknowledged it when doing our 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 set review like hey you know you can't counter this thing it draws a card it makes a creature you know might be good at least for, for pressuring little teferi yeah, I mean we didn't get it. We we just didn't understand it until we started playing with it. And then a week into that standard format had three to four shark typhoons in a lot of decks. <laughs> Maybe it is pushed a little too hard, but I do like upsetting the natural sort of play of in particular control matchups, like control mirrors and stuff, where just counter spells are absolutely the king. And getting something on the table through a counterspell is really, really important. And in particular, I I think that the thing I really liked about Shark Typhoon was the fact that it was good against Teferi Time Raveler. And like, that's just a huge, there's very few cards that are. And it's actively great against it, especially in games that go long. And even on turns 8, 9, 10, 11 are defined by who has a Teferi Time Raveler in play. Uh, Shark Typhoon upsetting that dynamic was, I, I think quite good I, I was a pretty big fan of that
1: yeah I I actually for the most part do like shark typhoon but I it's in the bottom for me because it's just one thing I really do like about it is that it does upset like counter spell based matchups where you can like good creatures on the board and you have to play around it and your opponent has to be thinking of it and there's like a lot of interplay through that
2: mm-hmm.
1: but one thing I really really dislike about shark typhoon is that it's a mono blue card that just generates a huge flying creature for Mm -hmm. almost no opportunity cost and i think that's like oh not something i want to see very often (laughs) like it's so good it sees play in legacy yeah and uh, you just shouldn't be able to tap seven mana or eight mana or whatever at the end of your opponent's turn and just generate a
0: six six flyer right it feels like it should just be like capped at some point or something like that I don't know exactly what the way to do this or, is. Or you could but...
1: just get rid of flying, like, so it can be chump-blocked.
0: Yeah. but I mean, I get that it's a blue funny. card.
1: I mean, yeah, that's... You lose the humor aspect as, as an exchange for some balance. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, the humor aspect is a huge part of the cards. Like, like yes... The fact that it's just, like, a reference to Shark Tornado, the, like, sci-fi channel movie or Sharknado, whatever. Sharknado, sorry. Shark, to Sharknado, sorry. I mean, like, yes, that's, like, kind of goofy and a little cringy or whatever, but the, like, flying shark art, the idea that, like, somebody's attacking somebody with a glory bringer and then just a giant, fi- like, a shark that's just one, one bigger comes out of absolutely nowhere and just, like, beats up the glory bringer. Like, that's funny. And losing that is like kind of a shame.
1: I mean, yeah, but <laughs> at the same time, I don't know. It just that's the one thing I really don't. I don't think blue should be able to have such free access to huge creatures. An instance be they can't mm-hmm. be countered, that replace themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but for the card to do what it needs to do, which is be a decent card that does, you know. Threaten to fairy time ravelers and upset the uh, upset the norms of counterspell matchups. Like it needs to be a decent card and can't have a huge opportunity cost. So I'm not sure exactly how you do that without you know.
1: Well, I I think if like in the theoretical world, I think if removing flying, it it weakens the card a lot. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but it does still feel a lot of that purpose. Yeah, and the enchantment itself is really good. Mm -hmm. Still,
0: yeah. Yeah, the flying on the sharks when you're making five or six of them or whatever is like not necessarily like it is rarely the relevant part. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe it would be a better card without flying on the tokens. Well, or better designed card. Not obviously not a better card. We had decks of 2020 props and slops. Looks like we mostly have slops here to Omnath decks, Uro decks, and the cycling deck in Ikoria Limited. No, it's
1: actually the Constructed one is what I wanted to talk about.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah. It's not because cycling is, like, purely offensive to me. This is, like, the Flourishing Fox, Zenith Flare. Play all your commons and cycle for one mana, like, Valiant, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. I hate that deck because of what it represents in, like, design of standard formats, where... This deck started existing in Ikoria. You got all your cards in Ikoria, and you're never mm-hmm. getting anything ever again. Okay. And so they had to, like, front load all the power into, like, a couple of cycling cards, Zenithlare and Flourishing Fox. Right. And if it's good enough, it's good enough, and if it's not, it's not. And that's just, like, a sucky way to have any kind of deck.
0: Yeah, and, and just the way that that is done means that for any mechanic like this... Like, there's going to be two good cards, and so you really got to draw one of them, and that's what your entire deck is based around.
1: And, and this, you know, this sorry. deck specifically, too, is just kind of egregious because you're just discarding your cards mm-hmm. every single turn. You're not even playing them. You don't yeah. even care what they are. Right. You right. just want them to have cycling. Whereas, at least the Adventures deck, the like Teamer Adventures deck from like a year ago where you just play edgewall and creeper lucky clover and then any of the insanely good on their own adventure cards mm-hmm. there were a huge amount of decisions to make in that deck because of the modality of the cards itself like you cared what they were and which ones you drew right whereas there is literally no difference between the six mana card that cycles for one mana or the red mana enchantment that attaches to your land and cycles for one red mana yeah, sure. for, for a mana it's just like
0: doesn't matter what they are they have the right. same text it there are some weird games that you screenshot where you cast one of them, but like generally just doesn't happen. Yeah, and and definitely that's one of the reasons that I, you know, I don't like the cycling deck. I did like the adventure deck a lot. Obviously, there's a huge difference because of that number of amount of decision making, amount of the ways the games play out differently because you're actually doing things with your cards. But the adventure deck still does suffer from that concept. That's an entirely L- drain deck. Like, all of the spells are from Eldraine. You have to draw Edgewall Innkeeper, or uh, you have to draw Lucky Clover for it to be... You know, yes, you can win games with just adventure creatures, but you're not really... Like, you're probably not going to beat your opponent with just adventure creatures. You know, you have eight cards in your deck, really, and then the rest of them are just way better when you have those cards. And I, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. That's it. I just wish they'd,
1: you know, not push all the power into like a subset of cards and then never print them again
0: yeah yeah i mean any decks from this past year that you give props to there's definitely some designs some like some some deck designs that i would definitely give props to like the build of goblins that like emma and autumn brought to the pro tour i'd give like huge props to them for that build
1: is it bad i want to give props to inverter combo because like really early on it was like a beam deck or just played it and some canister played it in some random challenge It's like mm-hmm. look at this two card win combo guys i'm doing it
0: yeah it started from the bottom now we're here
1: yeah and it, it was like i thought it was like laughably unplayable when i saw it and yeah i was wrong
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh crap turns out this deck is just all good cards and oh it's it's splinter twin it's, we're playing splinter twin Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's 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 actual just splintered one.
0: God, yeah. What other decks was I really impressed by this year? I mean, I like
1: the design of a bunch of the weird combo decks that have come out this year. Like Mm -hmm. the all the work people have done on the different Lotus Reach decks when that was a thing. Yeah, and then afterwards the Lotus Field decks, and people in Historic working on like the Paradox Engine Canon decks. All that like watching evolutions of that has been really cool
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because i like that people are still like tinkering around and innovating with these cool deck ideas that aren't resorting to like the haymaker huge cards
0: of you know this year yeah yeah i appreciate that too for sure yeah i don't know it's weird i I just like i'm so out of like floating out of time right now it's hard for me to like pick out which decks actually happened this year and when
1: (laughs) Yeah, Mox was at the beginning of this year, Chris.
0: That's yeah, pretty wild. <laughs> All right, uh, top Magic formats of 2020. So Can okay, my... I go first? Yeah, I have a shorter list. For sure, right? I you can go first. I, played,
1: I think I've played every format this year, even Legacy. So mm-hmm. I haven't played Vintage, so that may be the secret best format. <laughs> um, but by your list is very short because this year I actually just haven't enjoyed a lot of the Magic formats because of the aforementioned horrendous problems. Sure. Uh, but I, my favorite format this year was Pioneer. But specifically at the Baltimore Open we played in that was not Baltimore. It was actually at Philly, right?
0: Yeah, it was in the basement. So yeah, at Valley Forge, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. so that
1: that tournament where you told me to play Lotus Breach. And I'd never played a game of it before. <laughs> I loved that week, and that was fantastic. Yeah, I was also cool really weekend. enjoyed playing that deck.
0: Yeah, we did. We unfortunately could not make it happen. I mean, you did fine during our team event, but we couldn't make it happen during the team event. But then classics went just fine, and you got no, to play a didn't. lot of Lotus Breach. I
1: lost in the top eight. It yeah,
0: was so close. I know, but we both top eighted our classics. That, that was nice. <laughs>
1: well. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then I liked both... Akoria and I said Battle for Zendikar and that's like a dummy but it was Zendikar Rising mm. Akoria <laughs> uh, and Zendikar Rising loaded Yeah. I both really 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 enjoyed
0: sure yep I mean that's my first of my top magic formats is just the three major draft formats and I agree Akoria and uh, Zendikar Rising Limited were better than Theros Beyond Death but Theros Beyond Death had its own interesting stuff going on so like I can appreciate it The escape mechanic in a limited format, I think just, like, that's an experience that you should have. Like, you should play that format when you get a chance if you haven't because the way that escape makes limited games really interesting and influences your deck-building decision and gives you levels of consistency, uh, I I, I do really appreciate it. But as far as, like, fun and replayability goes, uh, Ikoria and Zendikar Rising are are both a, a little above that.
1: Yeah, I'll say I actually did like... There was Beyond Death drafts, but I didn't play a lot of it mm-hmm. because it didn't really draw me to it. It was just like a good, solid, limited format. Sure. But there wasn't anything I was really interested in. There wasn't anything wanting me to draft it over and over again.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I also really like the current iteration of the Arena Cube. I think it's a really nicely designed cube. Uh, de-emphasizes planeswalkers but still Mm -hmm. keep some interesting ones in there removals value like fluctuates wildly based on your deck and your opponent's deck uh there are cards that i have like happily first pick pack two that even when i'm in the same colors i've just like let go by in in a different deck and just not been interested in them like like the the value of the cards varies hugely based on what you are trying to do there's several super interesting archetypes. And yeah, I've just had a lot of fun with this particular cube. Kaladesh Remastered Limited. So all of my top formats are just the limited formats that I've played this year. You know, honestly,
1: you I liked I watched Kenny draft my roommate, uh, draft a lot of Kaladesh Remastered. And mm-hmm. the format's legitimately very good. It is. I just didn't play most of it.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's really good. It's so much better than original Kaladesh or uh Kaladesh Ether Revolt. It just I mean, they took out some of the, like, serious problems, like Renegade Freighter. Walking uh, Ballista.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they consolidated a lot of the stuff down, kept the interesting things, de-emphasized Revolt, which just, you know, was a mechanic that really... Yeah, it didn't play as well in real life, like, as something like, uh you know, like, Morbid played really well. Like, that that was a great mechanic. Revolt was like weirdly more difficult to do even when enabled and didn't have interesting payoffs. So they de-emphasized it in Kaladesh Remastered, which is to the format's benefit. And yeah, really enjoyed that format. Current Standard, I think is really good. If you haven't been playing it, at least give it a shot. There's like several different types of really interesting, fun decks. They're nicely balanced. The balance of power changes from week to week and a lot of fun games. And I also did enjoy the early post-Mox Opal ban. Just the idea that, like, Modern was like a total Wild West for a little while. Like, with Opal and yes. Moon gone, like, what the hell do we do? The but problem was
1: it... Uro came out a month later. Yes.
0: Yep. And it took a little while for us to figure out that it was the best thing to be doing in Modern. But
1: So that may be true, but I also played an Uro deck Sam Blackmaid like the week it came out
2: Mm -hmm.
1: played like a very untested list and played very poorly and got ninth
0: at an iq (laughs) just because (laughs) Uro kept killing people yeah (laughs) whoops we have a top decks you've played parentheses ever
1: this was a requested question it didn't have that much to do with this year
0: yeah um i mean you can start i need to finish filling out my list Oh, I'm
1: just, like, doing three. I'm not trying oh, yeah. to do, like, a top five or whatever. All right. Just, like, three. Uh, well, KCI's, like, the obvious one. Like, yeah. it was a deck I was really, really good at, and I lost very seldom on it. Uh, but I also liked, after KCI was banned, the prison deck that I, like, kind of just built up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Dom Harvey did a lot of work on it, too, uh, but it was basically his and mine, like, creation. And I did really, really well with that deck to the point where when I would go to local tournaments, people would just start putting shatterstorms in their sideboard.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's it's nice to have that feeling of you like you walk into the room and everyone just like changes their sideboard to accommodate you. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then my last one was I, I'm like avoiding ones because I played a lot of different decks that are very good. Like I played Phoenix and Splinter Twin and I like all that stuff. But I didn't love those decks. Like, I I played... I won... I guess I got second. In a PTQ. Old, old PTQ. Really huge. With Splinter Twin. And then got top 8 the next day. Because it was like a back-to-back PTQ. With Splinter Twin. But I don't really enjoy playing that deck. <laughs> sure. It, it was just very good. Yeah. So, yeah. like, even though it's, like, one of the best decks I've played. I don't really care for it. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, but I loved the storm deck when in modern inception that was a pyromancer ascension deck with Rite of flame ponder preordain and yeah, you just that, killed with like That Bolt. had
0: three different iterations of bannings to try to get it down to the power level of the other yeah. decks in the format seething
1: song you know all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> it was so nice uh going turn 1 right of flame pyromancer ascension and then your opponent saw seizing you and seeing two <laughs> copies of a card There's like no name from them.
0: (laughs) It's funny. I, it's easy to lose. I mean, modern has been around for so long now and people have started playing at different points in its existence. And, And so you don't necessarily have the context for everything, but like storm has gone through so many iterations because of bannings and printings and stuff. But when, when gif storm became a thing for the first time and it was like oh okay mana dudes and uh, gifs and past in flames but it was like a joke at first because at that point like storm had been so hell banned into the ground that it was just like well obviously you can't play storm anymore they banned everything that could make storm possibly good they banned and all then the they good- printed
1: uh, eidolon of the great Revel and rhetoric
0: Right, right. So it was just like obviously you just can't ever do this. Like, why would you ever try? And and so when the first lists of mana dudes and gifts and passing flames was a thing, it was like, well, no, come on. But then it it was a thing, and now you know it's kind of a joke to try to play storm again. But you know that's the roller coaster you ride when you play storm, baby. Yeah, it's like a decade long well, roller coaster. One of the
1: first games I ever played, Jay. Like when I first met Jay, mm-hmm. we played a mirror where he had my storm deck and I had my storm deck, obviously. And he played a turn one, uh, essentially off a of Rite of Flame, and I killed him the next turn because his Rite of Flame pumped my Rite of Flames. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: a messed up format. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? So, I mean, the main one here is honestly Arc Phoenix, and it, it I've just never really had this kind of the kind of Honestly, emotional attachment to a deck that I had to Modern Phoenix, just the way it played out, like really perfectly suited my play style, and obviously it was also a very very good deck, which helps too. But I learned how to play it to the best of my ability. With like, I'm better. I I play Phoenix better than I have played any other deck, and I don't. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm great a great phoenix player or anything but as far as like me playing good magic goes that's about the pinnacle of my ability uh and i learned how to do it and learned how to play it in bad matchups and win those a lot and it made me feel good to play the deck and so you know there was a a a couple of weeks early in phoenix's existence where like over the course of like five tournaments I scrubbed one of them, and then the rest of them I either top-aided or X-tued. And that just, you know, when you're, like, locked in like that, it just feels really good. And so I will always have a huge spot in my heart for Phoenix, and it honestly, like, does make me sad and makes me less interested in playing Modern that I can't play this deck that I, I really like and really enjoy and, like, honestly care about. So, and it's kind of silly. You know, it's just a deck in a game. One of a million ways to play this game, but it's one that I really identify with. And it, you know, it, it is sad to me that I can't play it. <laughs> oh,
1: I, I understand completely. The modern ban list is filled with many, many,
0: many, <laughs> many, many, many cards that I've played. <laughs> right. It, you, like, the game pieces are more than game pieces at some point. When you spend this much time with them, and you know, when I go back and I play like a video game that I played as a kid, the enemies in the game don't like they're not enemies anymore. Like they feel like old friends. Like if I go back and I play Mega Man 2, you know, the little dudes with the helmets that like you know come up. I think. I yeah. See, I don't know the names of them because this is a Game Boy game I played when I was ten years old, but they all feel like my old buddies. They don't feel like enemies anymore. Like there's an emotional connection to it because you got joy out of this thing. And I got legitimate joy out of playing Arclight Phoenix. So the other decks on my list don't really matter because none of them are ones that I have that kind of connection with. Although I will say the Urza midrange deck was like, you really felt like a way more powerful wizard than anybody who was playing literally any other deck because the deck was just pretty bonkers. Oko was just pretty bonkers
1: i may have told you this story before but i the second cube qualifier in like last year mm-hmm. where this deck was legal the urza midrange deck with Oko and opal and all that stuff that was legal mm-hmm. uh, what i chose to play because i didn't love playing the urza midrange deck and the way i play magics i just play whatever i want to play yes so, I played a combo version of Urza that played Ogo and all the colors and Astralave and stuff. Right. And the first round I played against Dredge, and I did, you know, the turn one Emory thing, and I milled over a Sword of the Meek and Fodder foundry. <laughs> and my opponent was on Dredge and looked at my graveyard and said, Really? <laughs> Because he, because he's used to playing against the the Urza Oko one, right?
0: Where your game one is phenomenal against the Urza deck, yeah,
1: yeah, and, and it's really hard to lose. And I just like killed him on turn one,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Because they can't beat just Thopter Sword, like not even Urza. In the, you just you're big zoo. How can you beat Thopter Sword? Not not that early for sure. Yeah. Right no, <laughs> that's funny. I just want to go over some of my best and worst calls of the year. Lee doesn't keep track of or care about these things. I mostly think it's <laughs> funny to go over like my really bad calls. Can I explain
1: why I don't keep track or care?
0: Yes. Um,
1: I don't know why. It's maybe I should. Have. Basically, I, I don't. I don't have a great memory. I talk about a lot of magic and change. My, I'm willing to change my opinion, like kind of freely. Mm-hmm. So I'll say a bunch of stupid stuff. And then I'll be wrong, but I won't remember. Oh, yeah. Unless it's particularly memorable.
0: Right. I'm generally the same way. I don't really remember what I said about cards the first time around because the like my associations and identifications of cards come from then like how good was it when it wasn't standard? Not like how good did I think it was going to be like that? That certainly leaves my head. But to give myself some props here, because the slops are funnier and more interesting. So I'll start with this and then get to the (laughs) slops. So I feel like I, like, knocked Companions out of the park with my evaluation of it, and I have one tweet in particular, which, you know, we didn't have any tournaments with Companions yet, but, you know, the cards were spoiled, and to me, the mechanic was clearly broken, and so I tweeted about, like, hey, you know, a couple of months from now, we are going to have multiple Companions banned in several different formats, And we are going to be sick of the companions that are left in those formats because they're going to make all the games the same. And I don't think I've ever been more correct in any tweet I've ever made (laughs) in my entire life. So that felt pretty good. I do not understand how these went out the door the way that they are. Like, the way that they were. It's just completely mind-boggling to me. I kind
1: of do, but I don't agree with it. They just wanted to try new stuff, but... Forgot to play
0: with it like you have to you have to see you have to test it.
1: Well, you know, you can't be making new products when you're testing products, Chris. It's
0: it's that's clearly a thing that's happening. Like that's a clear cost that they are paying for producing all of the supplemental product is that the main sets are not getting the same amount like the diligence required if your philosophy is going to be to push the power level of the cards and do new weird things with them like cool but like you gotta give them a good run through first and it's not happening
1: i also think that the base line of this mechanic like this card is involved in every single game you play and affects your deck every single time in a very specific way is just way too repetitive like even if these cards are like bad like, pretend there's a world where companions are released and they're just not good. They're still bad designs.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, as... L- so I think that if they're not affecting, like, competitive magic, it's, like, kind of fine. Because then you get to kind of, like, choose and switch your... You know, in casual... play Because, like, that's what commander is. And, like, it's fine because you have six different commander decks and you just, like, reach into your bag and pull out a different one for game two. But, so... Like-
1: Commander decks are singleton decks, which is not like, like unless Lutri is your, you know, shiny
0: example here. That's true. You have one, one level of one piece of consistency in your deck and then the rest is like kind of chaos fun mode. And so that's, that's, yeah, I guess that's true. That makes sense. Okay. I also got, I know this is kind of last year but this is
1: definitely last year it's
0: a call from last year but the payoff came this year so like i wouldn't have been able to treat this as a proper a slop december of last year so that's why i'm saying it now all right okay okay all right so during our throne of eldraine set review i pointed out witches of and cauldron familiar and i said i think this is pretty good because if you get these two you get to keep bringing the cap back and sacrificing it and i think that's good
1: and I said, you're definitely right for limited.
0: <laughs> yeah, so anyways, culture familiar is banned in standard. <laughs> uh, should it be, though? Probably not now that Mayhem Devil is gone, <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, yeah, so anyways, felt felt decent about that one. Uh, and then our. Just general attitude towards the modal double face cards. I think we were pretty spot on there. They've had like huge effects on all formats and they I I think are just a wonderful addition to Magic the Gathering in general, even if they make Goblin Charbelcher playable in modern.
1: Yeah, and that's easily solved, right? You just ban Goblin Charbelcher, and no one will be sad to see it go. Right. (laughs) Like, even the people who enjoy playing Charbelcher don't really enjoy playing Mm Charbelcher. They just like kind of running the table.
0: Yeah, right. They they like showing up to the tournament. It turns out nobody had any way to stop them, and then they just, like, 7-0. Like, that's what they're there to do.
1: It's not like they, like... Love the experience of casting recross the paths and, like, configuring their library in the specific order that's determined to win the game. <laughs> like that's not what it's about. Right.
0: Uh, so, anyways, stuff that I got wrong. Uh, let's start with Uro. While I recognized it as probably the best card, I, I, I think I was, like, pretty confident that it was the best card in the set. But that still didn't approach how busted (laughs) arrow is i just like didn't understand and like kept not like really understanding even for a little while until like we played with the card some more like best card in the set just does not approach what this card was doing and i also didn't recognize just like the character flaws of the card design so uh i think i have to call myself out for that a little bit i just wasn't close yeah i
1: i thought this card was incredibly strong Mm -hmm. but i didn't i'm honestly more disappointed in myself that i didn't recognize how like so boring and stupid it is to play
0: with all the time i think you were closer on power level uh, on understanding the power level of it than i was omnath although i recognized that it it was quite strong i think i remember myself saying like man i hope we get to do this in standard that would be sick (laughs) and so yeah fuck me for that (laughs) this is your fault yeah mono red in historic i thought it was going to be the best deck or at least one of the best decks in this iteration of historic turns out to be completely unplayable just not even approaching (laughs) tier or like not even approaching being registered for a tournament so is is goblins a
1: mono red deck
0: that's not what i mean obviously goblins is fine sheville bane of monsters i just remember thinking this might be playable and it's just that's not what magic is about these days i i didn't think it was going to be good but i like wanted to build a mid-range deck with it in it but
1: you know how wizards can get me is by printing like the next Uro, but it's a black green card Mm -hmm. i'll just think it's terrible i think every black green gold card (laughs) is terrible
0: (laughs) see i want to play every black green gold card except for the the wolf thing from this new set is that that thing's not good
1: is that like the Necroplasm type card
0: yeah it gets like a plus one plus one counter whenever one of their permanents goes into the graveyard and then it does like i'll I'll read it later it's just not it's not like it's not that good uh and then i like missed on ruined crab i just didn't know that it was going to do these things i also like just totally underestimated its role in rogues when i first started seeing it in rogues you know to my credit did figure it out relatively quickly after that but was treating it even then as a necessary evil in rogues. Like, Oh man, you probably need a couple just so you have keepable opening hands. But then after playing rogues more, I now understand very late to the game, how important a part of many of your game plans it is and how, how much it matters to be able to craft games around milling your opponents out. And so huge, huge upgrade in my respect for Ruin Crab and Sorry, buddy, I won't doubt you ever again.
1: Oh, I thought of a a prop slot for myself. Ooh, yeah. So, it's the historic format, and it's for both. (laughs) Because at the beginning of this year, if you recall, Mm -hmm. the historic format had absolutely no support. Right. At all. Right. And I said this is a format, like, wizards can very easily make people play long as you just give it events and support it yep and they did that and it was very easy
0: yep they did do that
1: uh but i was also mistaken thinking <laughs> that it would be a good idea to inject cards into it like the anthologies and the Jumpstart and stuff like that. Yeah. I didn't see Jumpstart coming from a while away, but even so.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> like,
1: I thought that would be like a, way, a good way to make a format. Would you
0: like to have Phyrexian Tower in your a-couple-of-standards-mashed-together format? Yeah, here you go. Here's Phyrexian Tower.
1: And uh, I was I was mistaken that that was a good way. Not only do <laughs> I just never know what is legal and historic, I the, the format is just... Worse for the existence of a few cards, mostly thoughtsies
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely will stay on record that Thoughtseize does not belong in historic. All right, that's all our magic stuff. Okay, what's next? All right, non-magic stuff. Looks like we're starting with Star Wars-related questions. You appear to have deferred to me on this one. Yeah, see, I have come to
1: terms that I'm just like a pretty casual Star Wars person. And I'll I'll explain this. Mm-hmm. I have seen all of the Star Wars films, mm-hmm. and I have even watched all of the Clone Wars series mm-hmm. and the Mandalorian at this point. But I have not read any of the like expanded universe things. And where I stand on Star Wars is that uh, the more the storytellers care about the universe. Mm-hmm. The, the just way better like output is so like the original trilogy i think were, we're very good the tv series are good to a point because they're mm-hmm. literally just trying to tell a story like expand it mm-hmm. and from what i've read even though i haven't read any of the actual novels the entire reason those novels exist is because people wanted to write stories for them <laughs> so i imagine they are good and i also like the season one of the mandalorian but not season two because season two feels like an advertisement, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're we're continuing the story from the last season. And this isn't a spoiler for you, by the way. We're continuing the last season plot, but we're gonna introduce a bunch of characters who some of you have seen, some of you have not, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't but they exist like in canon somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to tease them out episode through episode and just right. drop the plot lines. And then we're just going to release a bunch of series in the future that you're going to have to keep paying your Disney Plus subscription for to find out what happens. And I'm just like not about that. It's just felt like an entire advertisement. Today. Yeah,
0: I, I accept that criticism entirely and I agree with it. It's just that that wasn't enough. And even like I knew that they were doing it to me, but that wasn't enough to like make me stop liking like space dad and his green kid. Do, I, I do doing like a that western
1: still. with, but it also just feels way less genuine. Yeah, like I... way way less genuine.
0: Right, and and it also makes it hard to separate the like character introductions that like I'm happy about versus the character introductions that I'm like could could take or leave. Like I think that bringing Boba Fett into the series makes a ton of sense and was like good to do because the existence of the Mandalorian is like an acknowledgement of the power of Boba Fett over our cultural appreciation of star Wars. And if Boba Fett is going to be allowed to exist, to still be alive after return of the Jedi, to not have him on the show, like doesn't make any sense at all. And so introducing him allows for a really neat, like interplay between the, the styles of our character and the like archetype for him and and it's cool introduction of some of the other characters and maybe the fact that they're like okay now we're doing a boba fett series is like i don't know um anyways but we're ranking our favorite star wars media so and this is hard because there's like some terrible ones and there's like a bunch that i actually really like and i didn't put any of the video games on this list even though actually like Several of the Star Wars video games are, like, really important entries into, like, have fun having fun with Star Wars. So, like, one of my favorite ways that I have ever had fun with Star Wars is playing Rogue Squadron on the Nintendo 64. I played a lot of Rogue Squadron on the Nintendo 64. Obviously, like, KOTOR and stuff are just, like, incre- some of the best, just objectively best pieces of Star Wars media. Um, but the stuff that kind of, like, lives in my heart are the x-wing series of novels which are post return of the jedi following mostly non-jedi characters in the like continuing battle against the empire and you just like meet a lot of really interesting characters who have suffered different sorts of you know deprivations because of this war and it is a I don't know it's just a fun ride and the, the characters kind of became I don't know just identified with them a lot and really enjoyed getting to see their stories play all the way through and the fact that there are you know nine books in this series means that you get to like spend a lot of time with them and they're you know well written and a lot of fun and they benefit from not being focused on like the Skywalker part of the universe and, and just giving you some different stuff. Cause my, f- my favorite thing about star Wars is that it's such a big universe and there's so many different ways to tell stories within it. You just like take some of the pieces that you have access to and, you know, you don't always have to start it on Tatooine. Like Tatooine doesn't have to be part of every single star Wars story. Even well, That's though where you're wrong kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> but like you can tell a Western or you can tell like a hard dystopian science fiction story, or you can tell like, honestly, like you can tell a coming of age, like teen romance story in Star Wars. Like you can actually do that. Like all of these like genres can exist within the Star Wars universe. They just get a little flavor and a little familiarity that helps you, you know, open up to the story and, and get into it. I do love the grand Admiral Thrawn novels. Uh, I just, I, you know he's Sherlock Holmes in space. It's not a particularly like new archetype, but they are really well written. Timothy Zahn is definitely one of the best the best Star Wars authors, and it is really fun. Like they're they're fun stories. It's fun to figure out to see how Thrawn figures things out, and you know he's pretty complex. He works for the Empire, but you know maybe he's a good guy too sometimes. I just they're fun they're fun empire strikes back is the best of the movies that's just like pretty clear but my favorite star wars movie is probably return of the jedi okay because i'm i was a kid when i started watching star wars and it is it's you see the good guys win at the end and it feels good but more importantly it really shaped my understanding of like what heroism is and you know the most important part of the original trilogy the the moment is when luke skywalker throws his lightsaber away and refuses to continue the cycle of violence you know the dark side is demanding that he continue to engage in violence that he kill darth vader his enemy but his way of winning is not You know, and and I I think this is really transgressive and really powerful and a a huge, like, really different from action movies at the time and even since then is that the way that the hero wins is by refusing to fight, is by refusing to continue the cycle of violence. And so he breaks that cycle, and I think it's, like, really beautiful, and I think it's, it's just an incredible ending to the trilogy, and
1: it's so a it's a stark contrast to Qui Gon Taken series. <laughs>
0: yes, it is a stark contrast <laughs> to the Taken series. But it's why it's one of the reasons that I just generally like am just dis- since i have since I was a kid have been disappointed in the endings to a lot of action movies because they're the good guy beating the bad guy figuring out a trick or something that lets him kill the bad guy or beat him in a fight or whatever and it's just like not satisfying to me because like to me that's not what my archetype of a good guy and a hero is like a a hero is someone who figures out like that this killing each other back and forth like figures out a way out of this like going back and forth killing each other thing And so that, to me, is like, that's why I love Return of the Jedi. That's why I love The Last Jedi, which is the idea that we want to see Luke Skywalker come out and kick some ass after his entire arc in the original trilogy was being trained as a weapon and then discovering that the answer is in... Throwing away his lightsaber, like the idea that he needs to go out there and beat the shit out of Kylo Ren or whatever is just so mind-boggling to me. Like, obviously, that's not the ending for Luke Skywalker, and I I really appreciate the way that the story was told in the Last Jedi, and I I think Rian Johnson understood the story a lot better than JJ did. (laughs) Yeah, and I do like the Mandalorian a lot. I like the serialized space western. I, I like the the use of a puppet for the for the child is very smart. If they had made it CGI, it just wouldn't have been a good show. Uh and it's certainly the series is flawed in a number you know, it's this is not a perfect show. There's a bunch of problems with it, but it's the same thing with all the Star Wars stuff. Like they've all got problems. These are not cinematic masterpieces or anything like that. You have to understand oh, what I you're thought, signing up for
1: i thought of one more gripe i have with the mandalorian
0: yeah go for it
1: uh there is only one track once one song in the entire series. <laughs> i have it in my head i can sing it to you i can hum yep. it to you pretty oh, easily i know what it is but it's in every credit scene and i brought this up uh, to kenny who i was watching it with And he said, yeah, that's just the uh, outro scene. I'm like, no, they use it in the scenes. And they do. That's the only song they use. And this is Disney. They have more money than God. They can have more more than one track.
0: Just to quickly do my slops for uh, Star Wars media so we can get off the subject of Star Wars and get onto something else uh darksaber is a hilariously bad book where the plot line is that the huts are building their own death star and then the rebel like i don't even remember exactly who finds out about it but anyways the rebels like fail to stop them from getting it together uh but it just turns out that like the materials they used to build it were too cheap so when they try to fire it it blows up that's the end of the book <laughs> Nothing that any character does in the book matters at all. It's very stupid. Rise of Skywalker, I think, is just by... F- like, honestly, the worst of the Star Wars movies, including the prequels. Like, it's just terrible. Uh, is, that that- is that the ninth one? Sorry?
1: That's the ninth one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I forgot this. I guess tenth one, whatever.
0: Sure, yeah. Uh, it it just, like, betrays all the good stuff that happened in the movie before and, like, does all this weird fan service stuff and, like... It just like mistreats several of its characters, including like making Finn's story just make no sense whatsoever and not go anywhere at all. Just an upsetting movie in general because of the potential that the sequel series represented and then the way that this movie just crashed it into the ground it just makes it a huge disappointment. Phantom Menace is close to that, though. That movie was real bad and had just, like, 20 minutes of pod racing in it. And it was just not good.
1: In pod racing's defense, it might have been the best part of the movie.
0: Yes, but it's bad. (laughs) Uh, Darth Maul is the best part of that movie, though. Yeah, well, yeah. The Duel of the Fates is fantastic. The track, Duel of
1: the Fates, is very good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then finally, slops to the announcement... Of 10 new Star Wars shows, that just, there's no, like, I don't want that. Nobody wants that. Like, you, j- you can't just, like, eat cake for dinner every day. Like, that sucks.
1: So you're not going to watch them?
0: And also, it's, like, one person making all of the cakes and making them for you every meal. So, like, they get pretty bad pretty quickly. Like, there's just no way to make that many good cakes all every day. Like, I'm going to watch them. I'm not going to like it. <laughs>
1: i don't even know what all the shows are other than i assume that they're all the people from season two of the mandalorian
0: (laughs) i can't keep track but yeah i think that is pretty much what it is but i can't keep track and i'm not gonna try to and yeah i just it's just too much don't do this please all right anyways you can you can talk now (laughs) you can give I your can talk favorite now? shows and movies of 2020
1: all right shows and movies of 2020 i we I started a watch list and i've just been watching through things recently
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh so this came out last year it's watchmen
2: mm-hmm.
1: but i watched watch it till you know a month or two ago
2: yeah
0: this can be like what? stuff you watched this year too that
1: series watchmen is really good it's yeah. impressive I and for reference, I didn't watch the Watchmen movie or read any of the comics or anything. So I was like coming into this kind of blind. Hmm. I basically knew that the blue guy was omnipotent, and that's kind of it. That's, that's all funny. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, that was enough because they explain everything. It's like self-contained. It's really good. I also like the way it handled, like the alternate universe of history kind of thing Mm -hmm. but it still kept important stuff like the tulsa massacre Mm -hmm. and how that affected people and like it was neat take on like a historical altar verse
0: yeah and and presenting the tulsa massacre i think was just important because that's been so erased from our you know i i watched it with with like collins and evan and zan and i had to pause it and be like they they were like, wait, what is this? And I had to pause and be like, you guys know this really? D- did you know this really happened? Like, this is a thing that actually happened, and tell them about it because we don't learn about it in schools and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's it's it was really bad. <laughs> also, in the things I watched that legitimately surprised me mm-hmm. was uh, so I started watching some animes this year. Uh, I started with one everyone recommended me, which was um. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. A show I would describe as aggressively fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know.
1: Maybe it just wasn't for me or whatever, but it was fine. It was okay. It was not the masterpiece a lot of people expected it to be, or expected me to perceive it as, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially because I am an unfeeling monster and a lot of like emotional low points or high points for people I just didn't care about.
0: (laughs) I mean, that may be mostly more the fault of the show than you be. Like, I feel like you felt the beats and you felt the moments from other shows that are more in tune with how to present things to you. Yeah, I, uh, yes. But
1: I tried another anime this year, which was uh, My Hero Academy, Mm -hmm. which I had kind of low hopes for. I knew it was a superhero show, kind of aimed towards, like, kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was really good. (laughs) It was really good. I I really like like that show. surprisingly good. The writer, I don't know who wrote it. Uh, I assume it's a manga.
0: It is a manga, yeah.
1: He just plans everything really well. And a lot of small details keep coming up that like there's a whole sense of like great continuity within the series Mm -hmm. that kind of builds on itself and i really really enjoyed the storytelling even though it's like kind of a simple
0: like show
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah no i i I do really like it honestly all it really would have taken for me to like it is the existence of best genist as a superhero i love best Genist. i (laughs) he's was really really sad when he died at the end of season one it's
1: so it's unclear if he died
0: yeah but you never see him again so yeah who knows
1: (laughs) i'm also watching queen's gambit like it's next on my list i'm currently watching it okay uh and i've only seen the first episode it was very good so i'm excited to watch the rest of it
0: yeah i i really liked it I've read some criticisms of it that like after reading it, I was like, yeah, okay. I kind of agree with that. But watching the show, I was just like, I didn't want to stop and didn't notice any of them. So like, I, I really like it too. It's also beautiful. It's so well shot and lit. And yeah. The set and...
1: design is very good. <sighs> yeah. Well, set design on two different topics. Perfect.
0: <laughs> That's how we bridge them. <laughs> Um, I know you only have three written down here, but do you have any more? I
1: no. I can't I know I've watched more things, but it's I, I couldn't think of anything that like wowed, you know. And also you covered some of them. Sure.
0: Yeah, so I have been watching Doom Patrol lately.
1: The show. I don't is, know what that is. I've oh my never
0: heard God. of it. Okay, so it's a DC Universe show on HBO. You've lost
1: me, but keep going.
0: But it's not a super like the characters are all like quote superheroes. But it's not a superhero show like it's a it's a a team of superheroes. But the whole thing is just like they all have like really deep trauma, mostly like connected with whatever their superpowers are. And the entire show is them working through that trauma and kind of like trying to figure out how to reestablish themselves as human beings who can have relationships with each other just like friendships with each other and stuff and it's just funny and really well written and really well acted and honestly like just the best thing that I have watched lately I love this show I'll I'll put it on my watch list I I highly recommend it a
1: physical list I keep in my living room (laughs) god yeah show is just really really
0: good one of in one episode and i mean this is like it was a comic for a very long time starting in the 60s and all of the characters that it pulls out they do different things with them than were done in the comics necessarily but they all have a basis having shown up somewhere in the comics but one of the like one of the characters is named danny the street and this is a a street that teleports around and like is a safe place for people who don't necessarily like fit in with the rest of society. And Danny is genderqueer and like you you meet them and go to a drag show in the like it's just like there's all this like really weird, lovely stuff going on in the show that like they didn't need to drill down to these level of specifics in order to like tell the story. But the fact that they include all of these things in it just like fleshes it out and they clearly care about their, their universe that they're building and how to tell the stories with these characters. And I just like it a lot. Sex Education, I think is a really well done, really funny show on Netflix. I would recommend it. The Good Place, everybody's already telling you to watch this show. So if you haven't, just probably watch it. The ending was it's worth watching the whole thing for sure. Shira just surprised me a lot. I had put off watching it, didn't really know, just assumed that it was not as good as it was, and then it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Shits Creek is similar in like concept to uh, not in concept, but in like why I appreciate it as the good place just a lot of character development over the course of the seasons and you really fall for the characters that they've created
1: yeah, that's weird because i the character development man it's hard to do without spoilers. spoiler the character development in the good place is very weird to me
0: yes i and mean right and, and it's not it's not weird like that in Shits creek because they well, don't yeah, have yeah, the, the universal <laughs> yeah they don't have these rules that allowed them to do such strange things but
1: yeah like the appeal to me of the good place wasn't necessarily like a constant or good character development or anything like that Mm -hmm. because it was hard to keep track of sometimes like yeah exactly timeline issues yeah exactly what the state of things were
0: right but i think still the good place kind of along the course of the seasons, like maintained kind of a traditional arc to the characters. Like they absolutely developed yeah. and solved their problems that they had and grew as people along the course of the way. You want to do your favorite games of the year? Uh yeah, yeah.
1: So I'll I have Hades, but I'll I'll let you talk about that one. Because I I had actually played this last year. Mm-hmm. Because I played it really early on when they were still working at the game and I knew it was going to be very good because it was a super giants game mm-hmm. game. And I man, I just love their games. Even the ones like Pyre was one they made, which was like a weird sports thing. Right. <laughs> visual <laughs> novel. Like I played that one and I did not enjoy it as a game. <laughs> but as like a storytelling thing, mm-hmm. a visual piece and the soundtrack, they were all very good. So when it got to Hades, like, a genre I actually really, really like, yeah, with all the polish that came with it, it was, like, a hit. I, I was going to buy it no matter what.
0: Yeah. I mean, we can just talk about Hades right now. Like, that's fine. Yeah, do it. Go. And, and I know, like, the idea, like, hey, it's a roguelike, but it has a story. It's not, like, that that should be enough to, like, knock you out of your seat on its own. But it's just that everything is perfectly executed and they they tell the story and use the roguelike form in a way that boosts the storytelling and, and makes it really natural.
1: And yeah, like The whole point of the genre is you die, you get to improve your stuff and get stronger and then try again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Usually you can't, like in anything, you can't just die and then try again. Yep. Usually death is the end. <laughs> so the cool thing about Hades, it's literally in the underworld. You can't die again. You just go back to the start of wherever you were imprisoned, and just go through it again and try to escape. And that that was like a perfect narrative thing.
0: Yeah, and then the fact that they were able to grow that and like you do escape, and then what does that mean? And then they're able to tell this whole thing. It, it's just really well done, and obviously like the voice acting is great, and just all of the writing is good and. And also, it's just very fun to play. Yeah. Which is yeah. key. Fantastic.
2: Uh,
0: I also
1: played like a lot of different various games. Uh, some, A lot I don't really remember in particular. But one thing I discovered this year is that I like... So I played a lot of Roguelikes and Metrovanias and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I know conclusively I vastly prefer... Like I think the average... Uh, metroidvania game mm-hmm. is gonna be just better than the average roguelike. like and the good ones are so much better than the other variety like hades is the outlier i think yeah uh like i played ori 2 well this year. okay
0: but hold on hmm? the yeah, best yeah. two roguelikes are hades and slay the spire i
1: so i wouldn't count slay the spire as that like it is but it's not like the. you
0: think you, it's you not count what it I as a card game completely. first rather yeah. than a roguelike first.
1: Sure. It's like its own experience to me. Yeah. It's not really like a... because sure. It's not the same game every time, but you get stronger.
0: That's not what Slate is. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it is really a deck-building game. for. It's very much like playing a deck-building board game. In, it's just a, a new game every thing. time you start it. Right, right.
1: Like, so I played Ori 2 this year, which is Ori and the Will of the Wisps, mm-hmm. I think. Maybe that's the first one. Whatever the second one is. Mm-hmm uh it's a really beautiful cute game with a good soundtrack actually the soundtrack's probably just recycled from last time but it's fine because it doesn't good. Better. yeah <laughs> <laughs> gareth choker i think is the composer he's very very good at his job but he like that game was i was really excited for it and it ended up just being fine to me like but that being said even though it like didn't blow me away or anything, i played it for a while Mm-hmm. and i really enjoy it and i remember it and i played so many like various roguelikes that i could tell you the, the base mechanics of but just aren't very memorable sure and So that's like kind of a cool lesson like i played Melee, which is a, <laughs> a like a you're a luchador yeah and it's just a metroidvania you like get power-ups and you change costumes and do all this stuff and it's very a very funny very good game there's a second one which is also very good uh, and that was way more memorable experience than like anything else I played in that sure. genre. <laughs> um, I don't have Slay This player, but obviously that game's great. I had met Monster Train because it came out this year. Yeah, uh, Monster Train is nowhere near as good as This player, but oh, yeah. it but... did entertain me for like three weekends straight. Yeah. And in twenty twenty, that's pretty good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, Monster Train is good. Yeah, I, it's fun, but I also haven't felt any urge to pick it up again after I kind of like yeah. put it down for the last time yeah that's
1: one of the weaknesses i mean maybe that's not a weakness like i don't have to play every game for 100 hours sure. you know?
0: no of course not
1: and i think monster train for like the three weekends i played it i was i'm pretty satisfied with that even though i don't need to like play it again
0: yeah it also you can feel like you've kind of explored and it, not, maybe not mastered but like understand all the mechanics and and like generally can do all of the strategies. you you can feel like you've gotten like 90% of it after playing for a while. The learning curve is not as steep. Whereas like with Slay the Spire, the learning curve is really steep. Like most people, it's going to take them many, many tries to kill the act three boss just, just to do that. Like it's going to take many, many tries monster train. Like you can play it two or three times and then you probably have, got you know gotten most of the way through it or something like so so you know there's advantages both ways but for long-term replayability a game like slay the spire with just like super deep mechanics and so many different combinations of stuff uh just like has a lot more depth to it
1: yeah and i there's a lot more permutations in slay the spire than it was than in monster train Mm -hmm. and a lot more variance reducing in monster train which i think actually is bad for it Like, because in Slay the Spire, you pay through the nose to do anything to your deck. Right. Like, your your options are limited. The things you get to remove from your deck, you, like, have to pay for. Uh, In Monster Train, you can just remove a a larger portion of your deck if you don't want it. You get way more cards offered to you. You can upgrade things, like, so much more freely.
0: And and when you have a monster on the battlefield, you don't draw that monster anymore. So you thin your deck by playing your deck.
1: Yeah. And, And there's, like... So because of that, it is a lot easier to solve, kind of, than Slay the Spire is, because you just have so many more opportunities to solve it. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I I agree completely. But the the flip side of that is that the learning curve isn't as steep, so you can start playing it and then you can be pretty like, OK, I get what's going on a couple of hours into playing the game where you can be pretty lost several hours into playing slay the spire
1: yeah uh, yeah especially if playing like another card game like magic you just evaluate things completely wrong
0: right oh for sure it but it once you start getting it having played a lot of magic is a big advantage over not having played card games
1: <laughs> yeah speaking of other games like these are all big three games i played this year mm-hmm. i played uh tft i, I started that this year I hated, hated, hated the game, the genre, and started playing it more to learn it, and it's pretty enjoyable. I mostly play it now, like, right before I go to bed, uh, which is not great for, like, my ranked status, but I don't really care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, like, kind of fun, and it's entertaining enough to play. Yep. Uh, I really, 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 really enjoyed Legends of Runeterra, which is the, the Riot's card game
2: mm-hmm.
1: client because it's an actual good card game client (laughs) Uh, as much as i like magic the draw to me for magic is not solely the gameplay and the online clients right like uh, there's a huge social aspect of magic that it just gets cut out when you can't go see people or have a podcast where you talk to like one of your people every week (laughs)
2: like
1: there's just a lot missing and if i didn't have like this podcast i would not be playing Probably any magic arena or magic online.
0: I would probably be drafting some still, but yeah, I know what you mean.
1: But with like Legends of Runeterra, it's a game I've really enjoyed and it's just a good game experience while not a lot of card games I've played with card game clients are like, all right it's free to play but you know what that means get out your wallet right and this one really doesn't feel like that which no, is the nice. free to play
0: model is fantastic in legends of Runeterra. It's if it didn't
1: have that and i had to like like they're two sets deep and i have all the cards yeah. i just have all the cards i have not spent i spent like 20 bucks in february or something mm-hmm. and i have all the cards
0: right you just get there by playing like it's it's wonderful and if I
1: had to spend like 50 bucks every time a set came out, just to have all the cards, I probably wouldn't be playing it too much, you yeah, know?
0: And I mostly do that with Arena. Just, you have to to keep up pretty much.
1: And then I'll mention this because uh, Will asked about it in the Patreon channel, so I would be remiss if I let his request <laughs> go down. Uh, he asked me to rank all the League of Legends champions from A to Janna. Because <laughs> uh, I started playing League of Legends this year, as did Will, actually. Uh, though I've I played it a long, long time ago. I, like, mm-hmm. spent a lot of time playing it in college, so it's not like a, I just started playing League Learns this year, but I did start playing it back again this year because, you know, quarantine. And Will's one of the people I play with, and I started doing a thing relatively recently, like, within the last few weeks, where I'm just trying to get a win with all the characters in the game. Okay. And, you know, alphabetically. That's why it's from A to Janna. I'm on Janna right now. Okay. She starts with J. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that, like, all of my favorite characters in the game are in the lower half of the alphabet.
0: Okay, so this is, and, like, struggle bug time.
1: Yeah, and, like, by the lower half, I mean, I like Yumi, Y, Zillion, <laughs> oh, <God>. Zyra. <laughs> <laughs> like, these are the, uh, the letters I like. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I've been going through a lot of people. I just honestly can't stand playing, but... It's been enjoyable and kind of teaching me again why it's a good reason to play things, even if you're bad at them, just because mm-hmm. it helps you understand it more. Uh, which is true in pretty much everything, especially in like this game and Magic, mm-hmm. where I just get to play from like a character, in this case, that I just don't know that well. So I learn what they do better. Yep, and then can you incorporate that knowledge to when I actually want playing what I want to? Right, I I get stronger from it
0: for sure. I think our like most repeated advice for beating KCI was go play tournaments with KCI. Like the entire time that that deck was legal, like we said that over and over again. Like it's just that's how you beat something is you play it and you understand what you're losing to, and then that helps you beat it when you're playing something else.
1: Yeah, and it's nice with this one cuz I'm like going through the alphabet. So sometimes I'll play a character I'm terrible at and then play against on the other side, the person playing against me is someone like earlier in the alphabet I had played previously. I'm like, "I know what you do." <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Um so yeah, mine is also games that I played in 2020 rather than games that came out in 2020 cuz like publication date doesn't really have any like basis in reality for me it's just when, yeah. I, when I get to it I get to it uh Hades is obviously on my list um I really really liked playing gris uh this is a really story based not story based like it, there's not like a I'd, I theory. call it narrative based yeah I mean it's well
1: it's kind of hard to describe guess, it's definitely an experience as opposed to like right a mechanics driven game
0: and it, it tells you a story there, there just is not a Specific narrative. Really beautiful, just the simple platforming. You can't die. The puzzles are, you know, it is more of a takes your hand and like walks you through it, like kind of guides you through the game. But the whole thing is an experience that I think is worth doing for sure. It's just really lovely kind of meditation on grief and loss and those concepts. And by doing it in a video game form, Like, it really uses that form to communicate with the player, like, in ways that, like, the written word or a movie or something wouldn't work. It has to be a game. So, I I like things that are better because they are a game. So,
1: Can I side note this with one thing I wish game developers would do far less? Hmm. So, one of the things I think makes games like Gris very powerful is making you do, like, actions that are predetermined like if you have to go from point a to point b and you have to hold your like you stick a direction to go that way Mm -hmm. but it's very difficult like there's snow or something or wind or your character's struggling in some way and your character moves very very slowly through it you have to do it manually because it's like that's part of the story right
0: because you're the character like yeah because you're the character make it not a Game, make make you not the character. They make it happening to something, not to you.
1: Yes. So I think it's really important that some types of games have these experiences, but other types of games should not, and they often do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, I just started playing a game called Sundered, which is not a story game; it's a mechanics game, but it has like some elements of a story. And at the very beginning of the game, before you do anything, you're in a sandstorm. And you have to just get, you can't see anything but sand. So you have to walk from point A to point B very extremely slowly. And there's no point to it. You're not a character. You're not building a narrative. Right. You're not struggling. Except this, for like, this
0: is the part where they should be introducing you to the basic mechanics of the game, not yes. forcing you to walk through a sandstorm.
1: And they, I'm just like, okay, why? Well and I like sat there looking at the sandstorm because it's literally the beginning of the game. I have to hit start and I'm just waiting for my character to move, you know, to get to the theme. I'm like, oh, I have to move it, Uh, but I'm going extremely slowly. I don't want to do this. And I debated for a minute whether I was just going to quit the game and refund (laughs) it.
0: Sure. Yeah. Slay the Spire is on my list. Just, you know, this is a game that I will have played every year since I started playing it. Will play every year going forward. And certainly, like, you know, the fact that a new character came out was, like, really huge and, and encouraged me to play a lot more. Just one of my favorite video games ever made sort of defies categorization because it is kind of a roguelike but it is also a deck builder but just you know really perfect implementation um can't recommend this game enough if, if you haven't played it lee is much better at it than i am and has played a lot more but even if you're pretty you medium don't, at it it's really, really you don't
1: fun. have to say that every time like, i mean you, but We'll, I'll I'll just start playing Slay this Buyer and he'll stop someone on the street and point at me like this guy is just way better me. Really good at this.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then I watch like a Joe and Rib stream and I'm like, "Holy crap, some people are really really good at this game." Yeah. <laughs> uh, I played Doom Eternal, really enjoyed that experience. I I really like sort of single player theme parky kind of games. Doom and Doom Eternal are super, super fun single player experiences, and they have this kinetic energy to them and this kind of like raw action feel that's so rare to get. Uh, Just excellent execution of this. Uh, Titanfall 2's single player is another one that I think I would really recommend to anybody who likes games like this. Um, It's a shooter, but has just incredible movement and is really really fun to play there's a lot of wall running there's a lot of ziplining around and stuff and you're like you're in control of how your character moves actually i rarely play shooter multiplayer but i played a bunch of titanfall 2 multiplayer just because it's so fun to move your character around and it, it made it worth doing i played through god of war i really appreciated i mean just really well executed game in a lot of different ways. The combat is super fun. It is one of the best looking video games. I've just technically that I've ever seen just the way that the world looks is phenomenal. The I just can't believe they were able to put a game together and make it run on a PS4 and look like this. So just a, a huge technical achievement, but also like they clearly really cared about the story they were telling and a video game That is a father going on a quest with his son and trying to be a good dad, but he doesn't really know how and trying to teach his son how to be a man and how to be a better man than he was like what a setup for a video game. And it really, really works. So I I do love God of War a lot. And also this one's a little bit of a bummer. This is not a video game, but I was enjoying playing through Gloomhaven. With Evan and Collins, but due to, you know, circumstances kind of outside of our control, we are no longer roommates anymore. And so we have not been able to continue playing Gloomhaven during the pandemic. So that sucks, but hopefully we can pick it back up at some point.
1: I, I don't know anything about that game, but what I've seen on the table. <laughs> like, what, what is it?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just a board game that DMs your kind of Dungeons & Dragons Z experience to you, basically. Um, but it's more combat-based, and the combat is relatively st- strategic, and it it's card-based, so it it's it's neat. It's a fun game. But yeah, there's a lot of game pieces.
1: <laughs> there, yeah.
0: Are right, we raiding fast food now?
1: I guess. Someone requested it, but I'm, like, so tired of talking about fast food. Well, okay. It- it's just, like, cookout, obviously. Like, I'm sorry for people who don't have it. Yeah. We can't it's, do it's, anything to
0: help you here.
1: It's just the best. Like, it, it honestly are bad options, but there's not an option that's so bad you can't pick it.
0: Yes. <laughs> all right, I actually do have a full list of, like, five. They're not oh, really like, the right order. We'll uh, go yeah, for it. Certainly, any cookout tray, basically, whatever combination you want, it's, it's all going to be, like, pretty fine. You can argue about, like, value or like what's the best value or like what's what's the side that they do the best or whatever but it's all for for 6 bucks like it's it's going to be good. I tend to get a corn dog because you can't get a corn dog like where the hell else do you get a corn dog?
1: I think their hush puppies are pretty nice too.
0: That's true. They are good. My Bojangles order is a bone-in 3-piece dinner if you get supremes i don't know i just just don't really understand that i know all of my friends do but i just don't think it's the right thing to do
1: so for me i'll I'll speak on this because i usually take get supremes Mm -hmm. it's actually just a cleanliness thing okay well that's honestly the only reason for it i just think it's way easier and so one of the things i do that I, i notice no one else i hang out with does Is I'm just like always like cleaning and using like paper towels and stuff while I'm eating. (laughs) And just no one else
2: cares.
1: (laughs) But I just like don't want to be dirty.
0: Yeah. That's fair. My like really junky go to fast food is I I just like a McChicken and I like it. with I get buffalo sauce, which is like mostly butter, honestly, and spice or whatever. Like, you know, whatever fat mcdonald's puts in their buffalo sauce but a mcchicken with buffalo sauce on it that is my one dollar fast food of choice things that i miss from germany though specifically uh, i really miss getting donor kebabs i mean this is just kebabs big vertical rotisserie meat things they slice the meat thinly you know you can prepare it different ways but it's really good just stuffed into a pita With onions and tomatoes and lettuce, the like sauces that they put on there, like whether it's tzatziki or whatever, like it's just good and you just can't really find it in the US. And it's the most common fast food in Germany because there are so many uh, Turkish immigrants to Germany that it became really a staple. Yeah, Yeah. I also don't really miss it, but it has to make the list because it's so wild, but German dominoes is
1: Oh, you told me about that. Yeah, so.
0: I I've told you about it. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast, but it's just absolute goddamn chaos. Like just the things that they put on their pizzas just don't belong on pizzas. Like are, you know, the most common way to get a pizza here that has a topping on it. Cheese is probably the most common like thing, but if you're going to get a topping, like pepperoni pizza is the go-to. In Germany, honestly, tuna fish pizza is the pepperoni pizza. It And it's, it's just what you – it's tuna fish from a can and red onions cooked Ugh. onto there, and it tastes exactly as bad. It's not like, oh, wow, I didn't think this would work, but it, it just doesn't work. I don't know why <laughs> they eat it. <laughs> and like half of the specialty pizzas at Domino's just had hollandaise sauce on them. Uh, but no, no is correct. But anyways, while I was there, I tried every single one of the Domino's pizzas because I had to like understand for
1: science, of course.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, some of them were kind of great. Some of them were not so edible, but if you have a minute, just like, go look at the Domino's Germany pizza menu. Like, please, I, I just, you will not regret it. It's
1: worth a look. Or maybe you will, but not in the bad way. <laughs> it's worth doing, is all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> Whew. Okay, did we list enough stuff for two hours? I, yeah, I
1: think we listed enough
0: stuff. Okay, great.
1: I think the lists are complete for now. Yeah. Like, people did a good job asking for stuff. I know we didn't get to everything because people started keeping asking for things while we started <laughs> recording. But, you know, <laughs> we tried.
0: Well, we got stuff for next year then oh perfect great
1: 2021 getting in early
0: well if we didn't get to your stuff i i'm sorry but i think that probably we need to weigh the people who are tired of hearing our voices talk about nonsense a little heavier at this point
1: yes that is the beauty of podcasts though right you can just pause the episode and just you know go to another one until you're relaxed <laughs> That's true. I do that sometimes with uh, like Ross and Tannen's podcast because they go on for a long time and sometimes I just listen for
0: an hour and there's still an hour and a half left I'm like alright I'll just come back to you later <laughs> yeah I've definitely listened to that podcast in like multiple sittings for sure <laughs> cool well however many sittings you had to for this one we are done with this episode but thank you for sticking with us through it thank you for sticking fun- with us through another year yeah
1: fun 2020 this is like the first year because i i started the podcast hosting like in this year
0: yeah i mean when did you i don't know right
1: after the course up.
0: right okay so like six months now at this point like solid I think, half of the I year think about then yeah yeah
1: honestly i wouldn't be surprised if some of the listeners knew better than i did yeah probably <laughs>
0: Yeah, we really, really appreciate everybody listening. We really appreciate everybody who has become a patron. And if you would like to become a patron, you can always head over to patreon.com slash MTG Grindcast. If you want to find us online, we are on social media. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great new year and we'll see you in 2021. All right. Happy new year, y'all.